All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You're listening to the DFO Rundown Podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com. Welcome to episode three of the DFO Rundown. Frank Saravalli, I'm Jason Greger. Hope you're having an awesome Monday as it's uh, game seven, Frank. Game seven tonight, something uh, I don't think we've ever said in February in a quirk of the schedule. And so we'll have Tyson Nash join us to talk about that craziness between the Blues and the Coyotes. Yeah, Game 7, two of the best words in the English language. I'm just not so sure that they were meant to be put together at this time of year in the regular season. What an odd, odd year it's been for the NHL. And, and the fun thing is it's actually they're 3-3. Three and three. They've each won three. So it's a legitimate Game 7 of con- seven consecutive games between those two. And tonight would be like a perfect reason to have chips, Frank. Um, I know that you guys, you don't in the States, you don't get ketchup chips. It's a real... Like uh, often I've seen them sometimes, but it's not a big thing like it is in Canada. Oh, dude, they're unbelievable. But the greatest chip, what what is your favorite chip? I was wondering where you were going with this and why you would bring it up. But I got to tell you, and I have a shocking confession for a fat guy. Chips don't really do it for me. I like uh, tortilla chips and guacamole. I like, you know, in general, I'll have a handful my my go-to chip, if I could pick one, is a Ruffles sour cream and cheddar. But okay. honestly, like I'm not a chip. Like chips just don't they don't get me excited. All right. Well, I like all dress, but there's the new greatest chip, Frank. And the next time you come back to Canada, the it's from Hard Bite. It's a spicy dill pickle chip. Without question, it's the greatest potato chip I've ever had. And this is not just so everyone knows. This is not a sponsored element. This is not like no. we're plugging your product. Like we're no, like not, not at all. But if, if, if Hard Bite wants to, 
if they want to come on the show, that's great. But uh, no, this is just a free plug. I've ju I just had it for the first time, and I'm telling you, it's completely changed my potato chip experience. The spicy dill pickle. It's it's phenomenal. It's literally like the greatest flavor you will have in your mouth from a potato chip. Huh. Well, now I'm going to have to try and find it. But, you know, I do like a good spicy pickle every now and again. They have these yeah. spicy pickle chips uh, at convenience stores here that I – I don't mind, you know, just like it, it. Do you guys have this up in Canada where like it's basically just sliced up pickle, but it's in a bag with like the juice and you just buy it at the store and you can like pop it open and just eat a pickle on the go. What? No. <laughs> What's it called? Uh, I don't I wouldn't I don't even know what the brand is. Just like sp they have spicy and regular, but it's just like pickle chips on the go. Like you're like walking past the fridge at the convenience store and it's like there's just a bunch of pickles and a bag on a shelf and you just pluck a bag and go. Wow. Hmm. No, I've never seen that, but I like pickles. So I could. Uh, is it good? Have you tried it? Oh, yeah. I mean, like they're sp like they're spicy, like they will make oh. you sweat. Not that it takes a lot for me. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm not, I don't like too hot, but that's intriguing. Okay. I like, I like the differences. Well, might not earth differences in Canada and us all the time when it comes to food. Uh, I like that. Now, speaking of spicy, um, on the weekend, uh, Vancouver. Now we we've seen this many times. The owner or GM will come out and, and publicly support their coach. And three weeks later, the coach is fired. If it's the GM and sometimes the owner says, and then the GM's fired, but uh, Aquilini came out and I have no problem uh, defending, but I will say I kind of have a beef when they use the term media, because first of all, who is media nowadays? You've got social media, which is anybody you've got bloggers, you've got then media people. So, Hey, I don't like the term media because it really lumps everybody into one and not every media person is the same. We don't all have the same opinions. And to me, it's just kind of like the owner, it's the, it's the low hanging fruit way to try to fire up your fan base to be like, yeah, you know what? Even though we suck, don't get mad at us. Get mad at the media because somehow they're the ones, the reason why your team's lost six in a row. Like if you had an issue with one guy, like if I came out and said, hey, guess what? I think uh, they're going to fire Benning, then rip on me. I don't have a problem with it, but I just, I don't like the term media in a sense like that because you're generalizing, you're taking a cop out. Yeah, and look, I, I get where you're coming from. Uh, I stopped taking offense to that a long time ago. Um, but it, it's, it, I, I'm not surprised at all by the declaration from Francesco Aquilini. We talked about it. I think it was episode two about the Canucks and, and really where they stood and, and, um, the patience that was required. And, and look, like I said, then it's a shortened season. It was going to be a transition year with the young pieces that they were bringing in. And I think this Canucks team is going to look vastly different next season hopefully as things normalize they only have 58 million dollars committed to their cap next year and you know to dig into that yes they're going to need to pay quinn hughes yes they're going to need to pay elias Pettersson, but they have a chance to sort of remodel on the fly and i think get back to being that team that we all thought they would be the team that they showed in the playoffs uh going deeper than any other canadian team so um i, I think they're you know, this year is going to be painful when you look at, um, you know, moving forward in terms of uh, progression. Everyone wants it to be this straight line on a graph. And it, it's not like that. It's, you know, it's wavy. There's all sorts of zigs and zags to it. And so they're experiencing a bit of that now. Um, and I think they're going to be better off for it. They've got the foundational pieces in place 
Goalie and Thatcher Demko, defenseman and Quinn Hughes, forward and Elias Pettersson, Bo Horvat, the leader, that those pieces are hard to find. And so now it's about filling out the rest of the group with the proper support around them. And so I happen to like the statement. I didn't key in on the media part that you did. And uh, to me, it was just a way to, you know, turn the temperature down. The pitchforks have been out in Vancouver. It's a market that seems to get worked up really easily. And I think this was the team's way of saying, I don't care what kind of media it is, social media, print media, TV media, radio, whatever it is, we're not going to be feeling any pressure to that. So, And we're not going to be pressured to make decisions based on that. And, and too often, I think you see teams that take the easy way out and make decisions where you know, I don't think Travis Green became uh, a bad coach overnight. I think he's universally looked at as a good coach in the National Hockey League. So, um, But too often, you see you know, teams cut GMs and coaches loose when they're really just succumbing to the pressure. And so I, I actually liked what I saw from Francesco Aquilini and his Twitter thread. Do you go, and I'll take it from a different angle. Green doesn't have a contract. We're going to talk to Nash later. Rick Tockett doesn't have a contract. Do you think coaches are, go, are we seeing a, a little bit of a trend? Cause we've seen a few coaches play out their last season because, you know, free agent players like to test the market. Do you think we're going to see coaches in the future test the market more? I think there's certainly a couple coaches that are wondering, uh, particularly ones that aren't extremely high paid. Um, is there a better opportunity out there? Um, and I think there's, you know, a coach like Rick Tockett, for instance, I think he's going to be one that's going to be in demand. Now, I had one of my bold predictions to start this year was that you would have essentially – um, the best job security for any year as a head coach, given that this was a shortened year and I didn't think teams would be making many drastic changes, but, uh, I could see that coming really after the season ends, uh, teams have a chance to shuffle the deck a bit based on who does become a free agent that they decide to make those moves. So I think we'll see a little bit of turnover for that really kind of for the first time where, Teams before didn't even let coaches go into the season on the last year of their deal because they didn't like the optics where the players would have a chance to essentially run the room and dictate what would happen. There's a number of coaches around the league, and it could just be because of the unique COVID situation that we're in. But John Tortorella in the last year of his deal, there was Rod Brindamore is another one. There's five, six, seven guys that entered this year in the last year that I think we could see a little bit of a game of musical chairs. Yeah, and I just I wonder if the coaches realize that might be better for them. Uh, free agency sure. helped the players significantly Capital when it comes to contracts. It's never hurt. And there's no salary cap for the coaches, so that's a, that's a benefit. Now, um, we'll get to frankly speaking uh, in a second, but uh, very quickly, we're, we're going to welcome back some new teams to the National Hockey League this week. Uh, the Sabres are coming, uh, New Jersey's coming, you know, Minnesota, you haven't seen them for yeah. a while. and. For a brief time, people thought maybe COVID was coming to the North Division. Uh, yes, Apoliarvi had an inconclusive test on Thursday. He didn't play against Montreal. Miko Koskinen was held out as a close contact. Uh, Poliarvi then had three consecutive days with negative tests. Uh, he'll be playing tonight against Winnipeg. So they really, they they obviously took over precautionary, which I agree with doing. Mm -hmm. But do you do you think we're going to see another run of teams here where we had like four or five teams out of action, or do you think the new protocols are going to help i hope not i mean I, I hope that the protocols that are in place and as they begin to roll out some rapid testing uh for the north division which they hadn't really to this point they're they're 
the NHL has gone through this process, these docking stations. It's it's a funny term. You're like, what the heck is a docking station? But it's a little uh, pharmaceutical device that actually processes the tests. And so the league needs more than 500 of these. 22 per team is their goal to roll out. They've got a very limited number that they've gotten to all 24 U.S. teams where they can rapid test um, but not nearly enough that they can even do the whole team staff and personnel. It really would just be limited to players at this point. But the goal is to get rapid tests in the hands of all these 31 teams so that they can do it on game days in addition to the normal test that they do that's way more accurate, that takes 24 hours or 18 hours to come back and get results on. That's what wasn't working. There was a hole in the NHL's testing protocol, and that's my opinion saying that. If you take a test in the morning and you don't get results till after the game is over, what's the point in doing it? Um, and the league's response to that, my guess, would be somewhere along the lines of, well, you know, there's an incubation period that exists before that test exists where players are contagious and they're not showing up as positive. In this case, that doesn't make much sense to me because if you test in the morning and you get the result after the game and you know that that player is positive, they wouldn't be allowed to participate in the game and they would be forced to sit out and they you'd have a chance to really stop the spread. So I think that's the idea is to stop the spread. And the fact that it hasn't really gotten going yet in the North Division is a huge sign for the league because that would really grind, I think, things to a halt with the provincial health authorities who are watching this with a hawk's eye. Let's get to, uh, frankly speaking, uh, right now, some uh, some interesting topic that Frank's going to touch on. Yeah, frankly speaking, and I, I, it just feels like it's time for some change in Nashville and San Jose. These are two teams that are off to tough starts. Uh, you look at Saturday night, the Nashville Predators getting dummied by the Detroit Red Wings, and you're saying, wait a second, nine shots through two periods? Uh, you know, what's going on here? And so... I think the, let's start with the Preds. The toughest part for the Preds, and, and this is actually part of the issue in San Jose too, is the contracts that are weighing those teams teams down. Uh, they are anchors with a capital A. I mean, you look at uh, the Matt Duchesne contract. Ryan Johansson hasn't lived up to his terms, and you've got a number of unmovable deals. They tried to dig themselves out with a couple buyouts. They've got some dead cap space. Uh, that they're eating with a guy like Kyle Turris, for instance. But um, look, this is a Nashville team that since making it to the Stanley Cup final has gone in the exact wrong direction. Um, and so they're going to be in a position where um, they, they've got to try and find a way to flip this over. And I just don't know how they do it. Um, you know, David Poyle is one of the most respected GMs in the league. Uh, he's been at this for an incredibly long time. And so I don't know what the answer is there. They've bet on John Hines in a big way. And you could see in practice on Sunday, he was voicing his frustration to his team. Uh, but, man, it feels like a change is needed there, whether it's at the very top or whether it's with some roster turnover. And the same thing in San Jose. I mean, look, they're trying something new with Bob Bugner uh, as the head coach. And they've got some pieces that Eric Carlson contract, my God, it's got to be the worst in the league. Um, you know, you watch the way that he's played. He almost seems disinterested. It seemed like he was benched for the final 1130 of their game on Saturday afternoon against Vegas. Uh, Bugner saying after the fact that they essentially were in a position where he had a minor injury that needed to be dealt with. He seemed fine in his last shift. But four points, zero goals, four assists in their first 13 games. 
man, uh, to think about what's left on that contract and then what's left on Evander Kane's contract, Doug Wilson, similar situation. We're talking about two of the longest tenured general managers in the league. Um, it, there just needs to be some kind of fresh approach to get these teams out of where they are. And, and given the fact that they don't have a ton in their pipeline coming, uh, it could be some really long and lean years ahead. Yeah, you look at Doug Wilson, uh, since he came in as the GM in San Jose, they got the second most wins of any team, Pittsburgh, and, and it's only this year that Pittsburgh uh, leapfrogged ahead of them because San Jose is off to a slow start. It, you know, they, they did everything but win a Stanley Cup in San Jose, and, but you're right, that their Carlson uh, contract has, uh, has really come back uh, to bite them. There's no question about it. Uh, you know, the one positive they have going is they're looking to see Patrick Marlowe set the all-time games played record this year, which is great for him, but you know, not necessarily helping their team win on the ice. So, you know, those two franchises for many years, they were, they were just competitive teams year after year. They never won time. They, they both went to the Stanley cup final and now they kind of have to rebuild and they don't have a lot of picks because they weren't, they were never bad enough really for the last how many years to ever get a really top pick. And so what do you do? Like it's a, it's a tough one, but a long-term contracts for free agents, Frank, like, the NHL, I've, and I've said this many times, and I'll keep saying it, you should have a rule after your entry. Like, you couldn't do it under the age of 25, but no one after the age of 25 should ever get a five-year deal. And it would actually benefit all parties. It would benefit the players because there's too much dead space when you buy out players that no one gets that money anymore. It's sitting and it counts against the cap, but the player doesn't even get it, right? Because you only get two-thirds of it. So it's, it's, a, it's a terrible system. And look at the NBA. The NBA, their biggest guys get all their money. And that's great. They play more minutes, but the max contracts they have are five years. I really think it would help the PA and it would help GMs because then they couldn't get into the ridiculousness that happens in free agency. Good luck trying to sell that to the PA. I think that would be one of the hills that they'd want to die on. Yeah. And I don't, th and I think it would just take somebody to take a step back because I think people always assume that longer is better. Because here's the thing it's just if more you're good. Me. Like if you're good, you'll get your money. Look at Nick Lidstrom. What was the longest term Nick Lidstrom had for the last 10 years of his career? Two years. Now, sure, he's the, one of the greatest players ever, but you, you look at it, he always got money. He, he was never sure. Like, I, I don't know about that. Like, I would look back and say, you know, for how good Nick Lidstrom was, and I don't know what his final career earnings were, but just off the top of my head, I would say that he's probably one of the most criminally underpaid players of all time. But, they, but see, Frank, there's the other thing. We can, in the NHL... If you want to make the most money, great. You're not going to win, right? Like Sidney Crosby, look at his contract. Like two different things. Like that—that's—that's that's not really what the argument was. Like you're—you're you're saying limit the term. That's a different story. But 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 Lidstrom was one of the highest-paid defensemen every year. You got to remember back in like he was making seven point five million back then. Right, and so that's pre-cap, which is also a little bit different. But in the cap era those guys on the Red Wings were squeezing their guys every year to take less so that the team could win. Yeah, but he was still getting seven and a half in the cap era, right? Like in, in 2008? All, all I'm saying is go back and look at his career earnings. He never got the mega deal that paid him the big bucks. He never got the Joe Sackick $20 million a year deal. He never got it. Yeah, well, they, I guess maybe he should have waited for an offer sheet. <laughs> yeah, that worked out nicely. <laughs> Perfect. Well, let's get to our uh, guest this week. Who we got coming on? Yeah, let's uh, let's go to Tyson Nash. Looking forward to seeing what he has to say. 
And now we're very excited to welcome our guest this week on the DFO Rundown. He, of course, is a three-time Memorial Cup champion. He's on the Kamloops Blazers Ring of Honor, played 11 seasons of, uh, well, 12 seasons of pro hockey, 11 in North America, seven in the National Hockey League, and he's a current analyst for the Arizona Coyotes. Tyson Nash joins us. Nasher, how are you, my man? What, what's up, boys? You guys must be at the bottom of the barrel if I'm making the, uh, making the pod right now. So I'm ha happy to be here, but holy geez, desperate times calls for desperate measures. Well, hey, you know what? We, we, we knew you were good, but we, you're not good enough to have video. So we're just going to kind of do audio, I guess. We'll have to, you know, you're, you're still in the minors figuring that out. I look, I look better this way. Trust me. Trust me. At least that's what my wife says. I wanted to show off my new haircut, too, and nothing. I got nothing for you. Is it better than Jason's haircut? Oh, man. He's the pom-pom? We're talking Jason Strudwick, right? <laughs> oh, my. Is that who we're talking about? <sighs> we could tell. Well, Struddy doesn't. Well, his haircuts, um, basically his haircut is, I like to call it the hanger-on. Yeah, we he uses tweezers now instead of scissors. <laughs> I love it. Friggin' the eight head. Well, Master, let's let's get into it a little bit. Tonight is something that we'll probably never ever see again in the history of the NHL. Game seven of a regular season series, the Coyotes and the Blues, due to uh, some games canceled in between. They've played seven straight. They're three and three. And uh, tonight is game seven. This is like, this is just peak 2021 right now. Yeah, it's absolutely crazy. Yeah, you know, when, when first of all, you, you saw us play Vegas four times in a row, you're, you looked at the schedule and you're like, are you serious? Like Vegas is supposed to be one of the heavyweights of the division. St. Louis uh, as well. I mean, they're, what are they, a year removed from winning a Stanley Cup. And you got to play them seven times in a row after playing Vegas four times. You're like, can I, where's the white flag here? Because we want to wave it because that's not even fair. But um, for whatever reason, it's actually been, uh, been a lot of fun. The travel uh, has been much easier. In fact, I think the NHL is really kind of scratching their head going, hey, maybe, maybe we're on to something here. Definitely not seven game segments, but maybe two game segments where uh, the travel becomes less. You're not firing up the plane as much. You're saving money on that end and less wear and tear for the, for the players. But uh, it has been an absolute battle with this blues team um, and, you know, really, uh, I guess, excited to see what this young group kind of in the middle of a rebuild with the coyotes that they're, they're hanging around They're They're actually more than hanging around. They're kind of taking it to the blues um, as far as, you know, certain moments of every game. It's been a lot of back and forth. Goaltending has been, uh, been incredible on both sides with Darcy Kemper and, and Bennington. And uh, obviously, uh, you know, this top line that Rick Tockett has put together with this Coyotes group with Garland, Schmaltz, and Keller has been, it was scary because you're like, oh my God, he's got all his offensive weapons. Not one wants to play defense. Uh, how is this going to, you know, end up against the Blues? But it has been uh, better than advertised. Tyson, I actually wanted to ask you about the job that Rick Tockett has done with this group. Um, it's been a tumultuous year. Lots of different headlines from Oliver ekman Larson and the trade request that went on or or didn't, depending on who you talked to. And, um, you know, all sorts of change, um, different pieces coming in and out, injuries. Rick Tockett, in my estimation, is in the final year of his contract going to be a coach that's in demand this offseason. 
What, what do you make and how do you assess his, his job with the Coyotes? Well, I, I think it's incredible. It really is. What, what he's done with what he's been given, uh, the circumstance surrounding John Chaika, um, you know, trying to keep his players focused. Uh, a new GM comes in and Bill Armstrong. So trying to, you know, find some, you know, level ground there. Uh, you know, all while he's trying to make sure his team is, is ready to go for this type of, of season. I mean, we just talked about it. Vegas four times in a row. St. Louis seven times in a row. Uh, no NHL team has, has ever been through what the Coyotes have been through. And I think Rick Tockett has got the absolute most that you could possibly get out of out of this group the last couple of years. Um, you know, and, and now you look at what John Chaika, you talked about Oliver Ekman Larson, what... The situation he has put this group in, I mean, I don't even know when our next draft pick is, is coming down the pipe, but it's it's no time soon. So Oliver Ekman Larson, listen, he, he understands. He's a true pro. He, he realizes that he's probably uh, one of the only assets that they can give up um, that you're going to get a first-round draft pick for. And again, as I mentioned, they're, they're rebuilding, so you need, <laughs> you need draft picks. You can't go out and sign a free agent that's going to – you know, get you to where you want to go because if they're, first of all, if they're a free agent, that that's a little bit scary. Um, it, it's got to be by the draft. Uh, that's the only way. Um, you, you need a, a Matthews. You need a McDavid. You need a Dreisaitl. Uh, this team needs some superstars. They have some great young talent, but they don't have any superstars yet. Okay, so let's put aside the hockey talk for one second. You mentioned these two and four game segments. I know no one can leave their room right now with the COVID protocol. Things are kept pretty strict on the road. But if you were to take this schedule and throw it back to a normal year, pre-social media, pre-camera phone, how much trouble would you guys be getting in with two and three night stays in a given city? Well, not me. Not, not me. That's for sure. <laughs> You <laughs> set the record, yeah. Yeah, not you, but you know, in yeah. in general hockey terms, any team at any point in the early two thousands, late nineties. Yeah, 90s. yeah it, it would be very, very dangerous. Um, there was nothing better, I'll tell you. There was nothing better than battling, uh, you know, and grinding and fighting, and you know, after the game, you got a big win, you got a black guy, and you go to the bar, and you're like, "Yo, what's up?" You know, it's just you're with your teammates, you're, you're, you know, you're choking back a beer. That, to me, was the ultimate. It, it really was. There was nothing better. There was no better feeling than it felt like you kind of went to war a little bit, and then you were celebrating with your boys at the bar, some live music, and, you know, it just, it, everything just hurt a little bit less. But that's what it was all about, for sure. And it would be scary. Um, I, I can't even imagine spending three, four, five days uh, in a city and actually figuring out each city and, and the, the good and bad. Now, Nasher, let's go back a little bit to your career, because there's not many guys who, who win three Memorial Cups in the heyday of the Kamloops Blazers. Like, you had some great teams, Shane Doan and Jerome McGinlan. You know, you go down of how many guys from those teams, Darcy Tucker, Strudwick, yourself, who went on to play in the National Hockey League. But I have to ask you, like, you win in 92, you win in 94, 95. What happened in 93? That was the middle one? Or that was the year we didn't make the playoffs? Yeah, like, you guys go from winning to not, and then you win two and a more. Like, what happened in 93? Was it just, like, a one-year rebuild? Yeah, I mean, it, it really was. I mean, we we were all young. I mean, I was 16 the first year we won. Uh, Tucker was 16. Uh, Ryan Huska was 16. 
Um, and then we lost a lot of our guys. We lost the Sidors, we lost the Niedemars, we lost the Corey Hirsches, the Zach Boyers. So all of a sudden, you know, you have to have that one-year gap to kind of reload and kind of grow into, into the player that you're going to be. So then when we came back at 18, all right, we're like, we're ready to go now. We're ready to take that next step. We want to get drafted. We want to, you know, be the guy now that we saw in Scott Niedemeyer and Daryl Sador. But we weren't ready when we were 17, um, I believe. And then we had the Jerome McGinless coming. Um, and they were, you know, needed a, a year of development as well. So it kind of all coincides it's that's why it's the toughest league in the world to win championships because there's so much turnover and so much change in your time in Kamloops man you you had a lot of great players and and a lot of fun on those teams I'm sure were you like most guys come to junior you're pretty skilled players right you came to the NHL and you know you were a 10th round pick you really had to grind it and, and be an agitator were you that all the way through your career or did you kind of learn to, to be a shit disturber. No, I, I had to learn. Um, you know, I guess for me, and it, that's an interesting question because I see it now more than ever in the National Hockey League. Um, but when I was 16, I, I was skilled. I was one of the best players, you know, around. I mean, I, I, I was good. I mean, we all, you all are. I mean, right? You're, you're the best of the best. That's why you kind of move on and you move on because you're a good player. And I was a, a talented player. I scored a ton of goals in minor hockey and assists and like everyone else. So when I went to play for the Blazers, I had to do whatever I had to do to stick around. That, that was the bottom line. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to make the lineup. I think I only played 33 games that year, so I was a healthy scratch. I used to fight whoever I could fight in practice just to get into the lineup. I mean, me and Darcy Tucker used to fight like crazy. Uh, I fought Daryl Sador one practice. I mean, we would run and hit everything that moved just to show our coaches, Tom Rennie and, and Don Hay, that we deserved to get in the lineup. So then, you know, you kind of evolve and, you know, again, but you know. And then I turned into a skill player again. And then I scored 35 goals, I think, my last year in, in junior. I had 75 points, less penalty minutes. So you evolve as a player, and that's how you get drafted, and that's how you get uh, noticed, and that's how you move on to the next level. But I find there's so many players now that, you know, like a Barrett Hayden, for instance. He's, he's our fifth overall pick a couple years ago. He's 20 years old. Well, he's never been on the fourth line. He's never had to grind. So all of a sudden, he's at the NHL level, and he can't find an identity. He can't find a role on the team because he doesn't deserve to be in the top six. He, he just doesn't. I don't feel. I don't even think he should be on the power play, and, and he is. But he can't play on the bottom three, third and fourth line either because he doesn't know how to play that role. So that's where I think a lot of guys get stuck, and a lot of guys never end up making the NHL because they can't come in and play a fourth-line role, block shots, hit guys, drop the gloves if you have to, like a Darcy Tucker, who, even though he scored 20 goals every year in his NHL career, he had to start out with the Tampa Bay Lightning and do whatever it took in order to, to get that offensive role. Well, then, Tyson, there's some other guys that are high picks like that that adapt to that you know, that third and fourth line, bottom six role really well. Like, I'm looking at a guy like Sam Bennett in Calgary, and he's never really been able to break out of that mold. He did what he needed to in the beginning of his career to to crack the lineup, to help the Flames in the playoffs. And then, you know, he's one of those top five, top ten picks that now at this point, all these years later in his career, sees himself as more than that, but can't 
break free from that mold. So is that kind of what players get caught up in? Is like, I don't want to be looked at for my entire career as a bottom six player. Maybe it's better off that you kind of go through the trials and tribulations or ups and downs like a Hayton is. Yeah, no, and and that happened in my career too. I mean, I started, I remember Joel Quinville said, hey, you got to be the most hated guy in the league. If you do that, you got a job here in St. Louis for as long as you can maintain that. Draw penalties, be a thorn in the side, you know, stir stuff up. And I'm like, okay, well, I never got out of that role. I kept doing it year after year after year. And then I got traded to Phoenix, uh, Arizona now, but Phoenix at the time. And I remember Wayne Gretzky, like, I'm out there running around, freaking slashing guys in the back of the legs, drawing penalties. And he's like looking at Talk, who was our assistant coach at the time, and Samuelson. He's like, what is this guy doing? Like, there's a puck out there. Like, it, like, the puck is your friend. Like, you know, try to handle it every once in a while. And, you know, I just never evolved. And he never really understood what I was. And, you know, you just kind of fall out of favor if you don't evolve. And that's the biggest thing. Guys like Steve Ott, guys like Sean Avery, um, they evolved in their careers. Guys like Darcy Tucker, and, you know, they ended up being better players than they were when they came into the league because they got better in their game. And, and I never did. I just, I kept to the same role, and eventually you get too old. So I want to ask you about the next evolution in your career. Uh, you stopped playing and you transitioned to TV. What was that like? Uh you know, how much better do you think you are now than when you first started? And did you have any crazy experiences at the start where you're like, holy smokes, I don't know if I'm cut out for this? Oh, man. Honestly, like people don't realize how hard of a job that we all have, like the dead airtime, the, you know, thinking on your toes, the all that stuff. Um, it's way more difficult than I ever thought as a player, you know, and I know players abuse me now going, Oh my God, is he bad? Like, did he listen to that question or what? Like, it's just, it's such a more difficult job than I think people will ever give us credit for, but uh, it's the best job in the world. It truly is. I don't get beat up anymore. I get to travel around. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm living the life of an NHL player. I'm on the private planes and now you can actually enjoy those cities too. And you're talking hockey for a living. It's honestly, it's and I listen to my games when I first started and I'm like, I can't believe they let me come back for another year and another year and another year. And, you know, you, again, you evolve, right? You try to get better every broadcast um, and you, you have to be prepared. That's my biggest thing is that I've had uh, I've been caught with my pants down because you're not prepared. You, you take it. You're tired or you're it's a back to back situation and and you don't do your homework like you need to do. Uh, for the broadcast and, and you get caught, you get caught out on that branch. It starts to break and there's no one there to save you. Right. Now, Nasher, going back to your career. And, and I think obviously you had to work hard. And so it, it doesn't surprise me that you've gotten a lot better as, as an analyst and stuck around as long as you have, but you know, you came out of Vancouver, you were drafted by them in the 10th round. You played in their organization for a few years, didn't resign. And then you went to St. Louis, but I want to talk about Syracuse, uh, the late, great Jack McElharney, was your first coach in the American League. And now, Frank would know this very well, of course, because he was part of the Broad Street Bullies. Uh, well, you got a few favorite stories of Jack as a head coach, and was he as intimidating as a coach as he was on the ice? Oh, man, he was such a wonderful man. Um, I, I respected him like, like crazy because he, he didn't care, right? He didn't care who I was, where I was drafted. 
he just he he loved the way I played. He respected the way I played. So he wanted to play me. And I remember him calling me in one time and just being like, Nasher, he goes, they don't want me playing you as much as I'm playing you because you're not an, an early round draft pick. And I'm like, wow, how refreshing is that? That at least he's being honest with me and telling me what's what's going on. But he said, if you keep doing it, I promise you, I don't care about my job. I will continue to play you because that's my credibility too. I would be a fool if I sat you on the bench uh, because you're much more deserving than a bunch of the, the, the pansies we have that we drafted in the second and third round, right? So um, I'll never forget the one story though. Dave Scatchard and I were, we'd fly around. We were like energy guys and practice and, you know, he blows the whistle and he's standing in the corner and Dave Scatchard comes flying in a thousand miles an hour and tries to stop and he blows a tire and he ends up sliding right into coach Jack Mack. His, he takes out his feet. Jack flips like up in the air, lands on his back, smacks his head against the ice. And we thought he was unconscious. He gets up and I, oh my God, like if looks could kill, he wanted to murder Dave Scatchard for, for doing that. But he was, he was just such a, a scary man. Like, and then you can't help it because you hear the stories and then you go watch the videos and you're just like, this guy was a, one of the toughest human beings to ever play, play the game. I mean, it was – so when he spoke, you, you definitely listened. That is one scary man behind the bench. And uh, then you go to St. Louis. You have Joel Quenville, of course, who's you know, one of the, the greatest coaches in NHL history. But he also had Gordy Roberts as the assistant coach. Now, I know it's different when you're an assistant to a head coach because uh, I know one time he was a head coach in the American League. And for practice, he had guys pretend there was a puck, even though there wasn't a puck. And he ran the whole practice where everybody had an imaginary puck, which is still one of the greatest stories I've ever heard. But do you have any Gordy Roberts stories from your days as an, when he was an assistant in St. Louis? Oh, just that. I mean, you come in there, right, and you're playing for the Blues, and, and you're, you're, you're seeing this guy, and he's an older guy, but he's such a sweetheart. He's so sarcastic, but he always had, and I remember that story about the pucks, which is classic, um, but he always had these, these mittens, and he, he, he'd play with these, like, this was like a legend. This guy's a legend, and he's got these mittens on, and he's got these skates that there's no laces in them. They're, they're Velcro straps. Like the shoes we used to, to wear. Like, so he wouldn't have to tie up his skates, but he, he skated around and you could barely get around the ice with these old Velcroed skates that were, uh, were tied up. So, I mean, it, the guy was classic. And when he spoke, you listened. And when it was story time, you, you could never get enough from him. So, Tyson, you're, you're, a, you're a man of fashion. Uh, you mentioned the mittens and the Velcro skates. I got to ask you about these purple Coyotes jerseys. I, I, I've generally liked the reverse retro feel around the league. I, I don't know that I'm buying what the Coyotes are selling there with these purple jerseys. I'm much, much bigger fan of the, what do they call it, the Kachina, uh, the old Coyote logo. That's way better for me. Yeah. You know what? I And I don't know what's – I asked my partner last night. I'm like, what's the consensus on Twitter about these jerseys? Because – I'm off. I'm off all social media. I can't take it. Uh, I'm getting absolutely abused over uh, over social media. So I've uh, I've unplugged from that. So I don't really know what the uh, the overall take is on them. But I, I would guess uh, there's probably a few people that have your same opinion. The purple pops. I got to tell you, um, but it's definitely a, a unique look. We played the Blues and they had their reverse uh, retros as well. I I don't. I wasn't crazy about those uh either i mean it is what it is i, I think it's fun for the fans 
Um, and obviously, uh, the fans are buying in. They were flying off the shelves, those jerseys, uh, last night. I know that just because we do have fans. I think we're up to 5,000 fans. The building was rocking. They were loud. Uh, it's just, I don't know, it's exciting to me just to have fans back in the building, just some normalcy and people buying jerseys and talking hockey. And um, it was exciting. So I, I want to ask you about social media, though, because you kind of hit on an interesting subject for me personally. Like, I've had enough. Uh, if I didn't need to use Twitter every day for my job, I would probably jettison that app to the moon. Um, I, I've just like it, it's such a toxic place um, by and large. And I, I can't stand the back and forth and the, you know, just the general conversation. Everyone's wrong at every turn. What, what made you decide to pull the plug and, and are you better off for it? Do you think? Uh, I am so better off. And you know, I've been talking to my kids a lot about it. I got three kids that, uh, I think like all kids, they live on their phones, their face are, are constantly buried in their phones. I just find it such an empty, empty place to be. And right now, I don't think it's a safe place to be as far as social media goes. I think people are just so mean, so rude, and so able and allowed to do it because there's no consequences. I mean, if when I grew up, if someone was going to say something to me or write a note to me, um, they'd have to face the piper. Now, now nobody has to face the music and they can say whatever they want, rude as they want, um, and as mean as they want. And I'll tell you what, some of the, the direct messages and, uh, you know, comments that you would get were, were just rattling. So I'm trying to set an example for my kids just to, Hey, unplug a little bit because it's, uh, it's not real. I, I think that there's so much popularity too with a, with a bunch of these clowns on social media that have all these followers. And I'm just like, really, these guys, I mean, are so painful. Uh, I, I just don't get it. I, I think you have to earn that by being a good person and, and having, I don't know. It's just, it's not real to me, I guess is the biggest thing for me. And as you said, am I better off? Absolutely. I would highly recommend it to everyone if you don't need it for work. Well, Nash, sure. I appreciate it. Before we let you go, we always have a section we like to call uh, rapid fire where uh, we fire off. And so just kind of quick answers, what comes to your head, something uh, a lot of fun. We, we always try to tailor the questions to our guest. So uh, if you're ready to go, we'll get the uh, timer on. And uh, here we go. Uh, first, what is the best sunscreen? Baby oil. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, that's uh, I like it. Um, when you have when you played, who was the best chirper you played against? Probably Barnaby, for sure. Barnaby. What is the soul patch? It's coming back. Will you wear it again? Oh God, no! I look back at pictures and I I just cringe. <laughs> best player you ever played with. Mark Messier. The Kamloops Blazers, who was the best player on the 94 winning team? Oh, I'm bad with years. I think that, that was the last year, right? Second last. Second last, uh, Darcy Tucker. And if you can only pick one, are you taking Oliver Ekman Larson or Shane Doan? 
Oh, that's that's a tough question, but I got I got to go with my childhood buddy, my old roommate. Yeah, Shane Doan, one of the best captains of all time. Absolutely. And uh, which is the best Arizona jersey of all time? Oh, Kachina. I'm with you guys. I, I, I like old school. So the Kachina, I'll tell you what, that was a scary jersey. You came and played that team back then that actually wore that jersey. They were scary. Louis DeBrusque, Brad May, Rick Tockett, Keith Kachuk, Jeremy Roenick. It was a nightmare. Uh, well, Cummings as well, I think, had that jersey. Oh, yeah. Oh, Nasha, that's awesome, man. Uh, thanks so much, and uh, enjoy Game 7 tonight. It doesn't have the same feel necessarily as a playoff, but it's still pretty cool, something I don't think we're ever going to see again, a seven-game consecutive series in the regular season. And the good news, it's actually 3-3 going into tonight. Love it. Thanks, guys, for having me. Always, uh, always a pleasure. Thanks, Tyson. Tyson, Nash. And, and you know what's funny, Frank? He was like a really good agitator, but I loved his honesty. And he said he couldn't ever, you know, change his game and evolve afterwards. And, and that's, what's hard. Like that's a role that, uh, and I remember, and, and Nasher kind of downplayed it there, but like he became one of the most hated guys, but that's really not his personality. Like he's very friendly. He gets along with people and he kind of had to create a, a complete on ice persona to be an NHL player. That's really what a lot of the tough guys have to do. They have to work themselves up to it uh, night in and night out, kind of work up that hate. And I can remember just being around some of the enforcers that came through Philly, uh, always the best guys. And it would be funny. You'd be after a morning skate and they'd pull you aside and they say, Hey, is uh so-and-so in the lineup tonight? Like they'd want to know, cause they'd have to mentally start to prepare themselves and just being at the other team's morning skate, you'd have an idea and you'd fill them in and be like, okay, all right. And like, they wouldn't say anything else, but you knew exactly what they were getting at. And so when you get labeled in that role or, and it works both ways, actually, Jason, because when you get labeled as, you know, someone that should be putting up points or, or as a finesse player, you get other opportunities that you might not have previously or should have and, and top picks get those labels and, and opportunities. So some of those are hard to shake at times, but um, you know, I actually appreciated more than that his honesty about social media. Like I'm telling you, I wish I could detox at times as I say this into a full-on YouTube video. Yeah, but YouTube, it, you know, to me, I, I feel social media, there, there are some positives. Like, who I follow gives great information. It's the interaction. But I found, I, I just decided, you know what, I just mute the people that I find. If you can disagree in a respectful manner, the minute you yep. can't, then you're done. And I, and I found that's made it a lot better. But like most, you know, a lot of things like, like look at your shirt, for instance. I mean, like that thing is offensive, but like Dude, I, I'm respectful you know about it. Uh, it's unbelievable. You know what? It probably, it probably doesn't even come across as good of a shirt as it is just it, on camera. But this will, thing I'm telling you impossible to do. It will never come across as a good, uh, I'm telling this was like a day late Valentine's gift for my wife, because this is like just like automatic. It's automatic for me. It's an automaticer, so it's uh, it's Horrend fantastic. I love this shirt. Horrendous. <laughs> Frank, that was a great week, man, or a great episode. Uh, we will uh, join you for episode four later this week. Sounds good. See ya. Thanks for listening to the DFO Rundown with Sarah Volley and Gregor. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly, Chantilly cake and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? But there's more. You got to decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount. And that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's going to find the back of the net first. And you're going to want to be careful because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear, and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.